0: River Church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. We're ministering tonight for the seventh time on this subject about talk yourself into the life you love. So we're talking about confession, the power of words in our lives. So we're going to turn, first of all, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Now, we're required. We're required. Now, whether, whether the Holy Ghost has ever dropped down and told you this or not, it's in the Word. We're required to have mastery over our business, our Christian business, our spiritual life. We are required to not just survive, not get by, not wing it. We are required to have mastery, uh, kind of a master's degree or even a Ph.D., what, whatever it is. We, I tell you, it, most people or a lot of people, some people, I'll say, why they're they're in the spirit realm. They're still in kindergarten. They don't know anything. Wouldn't know how to help somebody. Doesn't have a clue. Can't get help themselves. But the word tells us to have mastery. And um, who knows what's the oldest book in the Bible? Very Paul does. Job is the oldest book in the Bible. So it predates Genesis and all of that. Well, here's what Job 22, verse 28 says about talk yourself into the life you love. Job says, Thou shalt also decree a thing, and it shall be established unto thee, and the light shall shine upon thy ways. Thou shalt decree a thing, and it shall be established unto you. Wow, that's that's powerful. And that was way back when. Everyone has talked themselves into the life they are now living. I have, you have, nobody could say it was bad luck or my kinfolks messed with me or the boss didn't like me and all that stuff which is, could be true but that's not the root of it. We've all talked ourselves into the very life that we're living. So if we're waiting on a big break, like I, you know, I'm, I'm about to get my business started and I'm about to get a lot of money or we're waiting for God to notice us and get approved or whatever, we, we will not see a change based on those parameters. What we'll see a change on is decreeing a thing and it being established unto us. So we've been ministering on Sunday about being an always answered asker, and this has something to do with that. The Bible tells us that you can choose life. Well, if life is a choice, then it could be that the other side of that choice is something else, like death. Deuteronomy says, choose this day, life or death. Choose life. So we can choose life. And if we do, and when we do, let me tell you this, God will start surprising you with his goodness. Let's say it to ourselves in first person. God is surprising me with his goodness. Let's do it again. God is surprising me with his goodness. When you choose to uh, go with God and you begin to decree a thing, it's established in you. And the word says the light will shine on your ways. You'll start seeing which way to go and not to go. You won't step in those potholes anymore. You'll go around them and life will be easier. I've spent a lot of my life doing the jerky back backing up and having redos. And boy, redos are expensive. They take time because you didn't get it right the first time and you just blew in there, barreled over in there and that wasn't it. And to get yourself out of it, you got to back up and you're wasting time. You should be doing something else. I've had a lot of those and it's all a relative thing. I'm not talking about got drunk or I've been smoking bad stuff. I'm talking about just for my life, just like you, the calling on your life and my life, when you miss it, when you miss it, you know, with all good intentions, all good intentions, but you miss it, uh, you got to back it up. Well, I'm, I'm ready to end that. How about you? I, I want to get it right every single time from now on. So here's something that we say all the time. Let's just plug this into confession. We say that if you're not born again... Until you're born again, you're not born again. Until you're born again, you're not born again. And the reason you'd say that, it seems obvious, but a lot of people go through motions of being born again. Uh, my dad, he, I, was in the eighth, I was eight years old, and his mother had been wanting him to go down to the front because he was Methodist and become a Baptist. And he turned over to me and said, you want to go? Well, that's my dad. Of course I want to go. But I had no idea what we were going for and what we were going to do. And so I went down there, and I went through whatever that pastor led me through. You want to go to hell, son? (laughs) I'll skip. (laughs) So I wasn't born again, even though I went through all the trappings and all the emotions. Well, you know what that means. We went to a conference at Larry Lee's church in Rockwall, Texas, back in the 80s. And uh, on the third day, they were whooping it up because a Baptist deacon, 40 years Baptist deacon. So he's older than that, but he'd been a Baptist deacon 40 years, wow. got born again. Wow. And it just sent shockwaves through all of us that you could go through all the motions for that long and never really understand what you're in. So, uh, so if you're not born again until you're born again, let's say it this way. Until you're in faith, you're not in faith. Faith is not a gradient. Faith is not a a shading where you're sort of in faith and you're asking for 10 things, but you're halfway in faith and so you get five of them. Until you're in faith, you're not in faith. Let's explain that. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, let's look in verse 13. I love this chapter. But in verse 13, it says, We, having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written. Well, what what is written, Paul? What are you quoting? He's quoting the Old Testament. I believed, and therefore have I spoken. I believed, and therefore, and therefore, the word therefore is the operative word. I believed, and my believing started speaking. Now... I was in word of faith forever, and we didn't didn't believe that. We believed you could talk yourself into faith by confessing out of your head, and that's absolutely what what it was. I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed. Management, management, and there's nothing wrong with that per se about feeding who you are, but that doesn't mean you're in faith. You're not in faith until you're in faith, And it says, we having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed and therefore I have spoken, we also believe and therefore speak. So believing is the source, the headwaters of speaking. Now we all know you can say anything out of your head, and a lot of people do. They make marvelous confessions about their faith. I'm, you know, by stripes I'm healed is a big one. God supplies all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That's another one. And so because it comes out of the same mouth that our heart uses, yeah. it's hard to tell because the words sound the same. But you can tell. You can tell on yourself when it's got power in it, when it's got glory in it, when it's got conviction in it. We all prefer to be healed. But a conviction is unwilling to not be healed. This is powerful. This is so powerful. So faith has a voice, and when faith has come, faith speaks. You don't have to originate it. You don't have to come up with it. You don't have to think about it. When faith comes, it speaks. It's a marvelous thing when your faith speaks because it has a, an assurance, a confidence, a title deed that what you have believed has now been formed, created by your words. Thou shalt decree a thing and it shall be established. So a decree is merely is more than just saying, well, Lord, if you got anything extra up there, we could use a little dab of it down here. That might not be decreeing. That might not move heaven because it didn't move us. So the head can speak, but here it is. The head cannot speak faith. It can have all the trappings of faith. I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed. Or even quote the scripture, by his stripes I was healed. But the head cannot speak faith. So we have to turn the valve inside there, and yet we can't do it. Because we can't speak for our faith. Our faith has to speak for us. So instead of working on confession, we got to work on what brings the confession. Amen. Amen. Romans chapter twelve. Let's slip over there. You're right there. Oh, let let me read. Let me read this one to you first before let me not get out of order. In Mark chapter eleven, y'all know that one. We could all quote it together. But in verse 23, listen to what it says concerning what we just said. Verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto the mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea. And here it is. And shall not doubt in his heart. And here, and but believeth those things which he saith shall come to pass. And that's the operative word there. It's a confidence and assurance. Shall come to pass. The faith is speaking. The mountain is the object, but the faith has got its own voice. Then, uh, then it goes on and says, He shall, uh, he shall have whatsoever he saith. It's done. It's done. I, how many of y'all, just like me, have, have, didn't know if we were in faith, but we had a faith confession? In other words, we were saying the right things. And we were, if, if, if we got ourselves in a place where we were totally transparent, we would have to say, I would, I wasn't sure if I was in faith or not. Because faith has it. Faith has several elements. It speaks, it acts, it rests, it makes plans. Faith knows. Faith is the place marker in your life until you can see it and touch it. It's just as valid. It's just as much as if you have it it means that much to you. Well, that's 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 going to take some stuff, isn't it? That's not coming out of your head, which is bombarded by the senses, by the memories, by the experience, by the conversations of people around us. It's always moving back and forth. Amen. So Romans chapter 12 Let's look in verse 3. Now the Lord showed me this this afternoon and I'm real proud of it. <laughs> I know. Y'all get proud of when you see something? Revelation is so precious. It is. Revelation, you can't be taught revelation. You can be taught information, and it can become understanding. It can become wisdom. But revelation stands on its own, and it cannot come from a man or a reading. It comes from God. Flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is heaven is what the Lord Jesus. So chapter 12... Let's read the whole thing. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. We won't preach on that. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? That ye may prove what, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, here's verse 3. For I say... So he said that to say this, for I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Now, you know, we've all knew what that meant. Don't get puffed up. Don't don't get exalted. But that's not what it means in this context that not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. So let's, let's look at that first thing, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. Here he's telling us that nothing will substitute for the God kind of faith. No knowledge, no revelation, no experience. I've done this a hundred times, it's easy. Nothing you are thinking more highly of yourself than you ought if you ever believe that you can get where God wants you to go without the God kind of faith operating. I believed, and therefore I speak. So if you say, I'm believing, but your heart is not speaking, and but you say it is because you can hear your head, then you're thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Now... It, when you get around people, when you get this down in you and you get around people, you can tell if they're in faith or not. There's inflections, there's tones, there's rhythms in people's voice that's not there when you know that you know and it's coming out of this down here. I got it, and there's just no doubt about it, and say what you will, say what you won't. I got it, and if it doesn't please you, it doesn't matter. I got it. Now, that, that's a confidence. There's no fishtailing, as we say. No uh, willy-wallering around. Uh, it's done. Have you been in faith before, the God kind of faith? Well, we all have, but uh, it's a sweet and a precious place to be. Uh, you ought to. So, but then it says God has dealt every man the measure of faith. Now, let's talk about that for a second because it has to do with our confession. The new birth gives each of us... A measure of faith the exact same way that a child a baby a newborn is given the measure of a liver and a kidney and an eyeball and all that stuff given a measure of it but if they don't do something with it 20 years later they can be dumb as a rock have you met those kids <laughs> well amen shouldn't have said that but anyway so when they have the measure of faith, they have tapped out all there is for that measure, which is heaven. They're going to heaven if they're just little bitty or if they're like this deacon, this Baptist deacon, 40 years in the, in the, in the kingdom and, and just then got heaven. That's all there is, is heaven, until you renew your mind from the word of God. But... You all, I can, grow my own measure of faith. I just have a measure. So we all grew up. We were all newborns at one time. We were all fifth graders at one time. And we've all grown up since then. Some people are hampered or limited, and they don't get to grow up in certain areas. But it's not right. It's not normal. Uh, Sunday morning, was we were in broadcast... We were receiving communion. My dear friend, Betty Turner, in uh, the Houston area, she, uh, she was waiting on her son, and she, she told me this today, or yesterday, and said, there you were, you went off camera. Well, where'd he go? Well, I'd gone over there to get the elements. And she heard me say, we're about to receive communion together. And she, this is her telling it, she sparked and said, I want to. I'm in faith about taking communion. So she looked all over that pickup for a cracker and some juice. Well, <laughs> that wasn't going to happen. So she brought her a bottle of water, and she found her a breath mint. And so she, she took communion with a breath mint and a bottle of water. Now that tells you that you're in faith. You're in faith about it because you won't be stopped. You, you know, if you have to take the knob off the steering wheel or whatever, you know, you, you're going to go there with anything that's available. And it was just so precious when she shared that with me the other day, uh, a breath mint. So I told Pastor West, I said, uh, about this. And he said, well, uh, she, she was sweet before the Lord. I mean, <laughs> she had sweet breath before the Lord. So let's, let's just talk about this, this confession thing, because it's always, if you will be hammered outside of this room, it'll be over, is God sovereign or is God in control? That's what you'll be hammered about, because there's so many questions that are unanswered about family and friends and events that don't make sense, especially if you have someone that is a soul winner. We knew a woman in, in Seminole that was an avid soul winner. I mean, she got up and she was looking for somebody. And uh, just the perfect Christian, but she got cancer. And so uh, they took her down to MD Anderson and, and put her through that, and she had bad cancer. And she went up and down the halls, as people like that would do, and got some people born again and consoled some people. But it wouldn't do the church that she was in to just say she's weak or she's uh, not in faith or, or anything that could happen when, you don't, when you're in a fight, when you're in a faith fight. So what they did, they just started changing their doctrine and started saying, well, God used her in Houston, so God put the cancer on her so he could get her to Houston so he could win some people to Jesus. As if you couldn't go to Houston well and minister to people. You could, you could do anything, but they changed their doctrine rather than deal with the truth because she's a sweetheart. Her, her daughter was in our church and she was a sweetheart. I mean, just in the love of God was in her, but she didn't have faith for healing. Oral Roberts is reported to have, before he passed at 90, he told people that he was in his late eighties before he ever received healing on his own faith. But 50,000 people had been touched by his, the gift of God in his hand that he used. So you, you can't change your doctrine, but we have to get in faith. And the way we get in faith is how? Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the Word of God in Romans. So in Matthew chapter 18, in verse 14, we're going to answer the question, does God ever allow someone to die? Because, you know, we can, we can adjust our doctrine... To say, well, you know, God killed him. Well, we, we can adjust and say, well, God allowed it. Because of in his infinite wisdom, and in knowing everything, and understanding down the road things that you don't know now, he had to do it. But you know it doesn't sit well with you. When you know God's on the fence about stuff, that you can't count on him, you can't depend on him, because... He might know something you don't know, and here you are all throttled up, all lathered up to to be healed, and then you find out uh, god 's got some contingencies in the small print, and you just never know what god 's going to do and it's it's the major the most major hamperer limiter on the Christian faith in our life. People want to say uh, uh That sickness isn't ever caused by anything that we do. It's just, it's God's in control. And if if you're sick, he made you sick. And if you're not sick, you're lucky. Am I provoking you to love and good works this evening? Hallelujah. So does God ever allow anyone to die? Why doesn't he care? Now that's what they all say. Whether they say it, that's what they're saying. Why doesn't God care? And then if you ever get a... Uh, uh, someone that's not born again. If you ever get someone out in the world, that is their deal. Why is God letting all these people suffer? If He cares, if He's a loving God, you Christians say this, and and there it is. But in Matthew eighteen fourteen, now this isn't where we're going tonight, but this I'm, we're going to hit this one along the way. In Matthew eighteen fourteen, Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude. Let's see. Matthew 18, 14. You know, that's not it. it I think I could have made it work. <laughs> A good preacher can make every scripture work. Hallelujah. Okay. Uh, verse 14. In verse 10, he says, Take heed he that you despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold. So he's talking about children that have come to him. And in verse 14, he He comes back to it, he said, even so, it is not the will of your father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Well, there we have gospel, we have the word, we have the truth, that God doesn't take little ones. I need an amen before we go on. He said, It's not the will of God to take that one of these little ones should perish. I'll read you 2 Peter 3, 9 that says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but longsuffering to usward. Here it is. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Well, you go, well, he just wants them to get born again. And if they don't straighten up, he's going to take them out. He wants us to live as long as it takes for us to get born again. He's not taking anybody out because they were slow. What about the man that gets saved on his deathbed and goes out into eternity just as born again as Billy Graham? Just as born again as Billy Graham. Proverbs 18, 21 says, say it with me. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Let's do it again. Death and life are in the power of my tongue. Come on. Death and life are in the power of my tongue. So is God in control? Sounds like I'm in control. Because if it was death and life is in the power of God's tongue, he should have said it. He should have mentioned it. He should have qualified himself to say, boys, you can't handle this. Girls, it's too hard for you. I'm going to have to take over. And that would be kind of like our process now. Uh, God yields to the words that I say. I am so powerful. Are you powerful? Yes. You are absolutely powerful. If you can speak to the mountains, say, be thou removed, you're powerful. If you can walk on the water, Lord Jesus, if that's you, bid me come. Come. It's powerful. We are more powerful than we even imagine so everyone lives and dies. And this is the whole point of this teaching. Everyone lives and dies within the boundaries of their own words. I can't blame anybody. You don't have any money, poor thing. The government stiffed you, and you're a veteran, and, and they wouldn't give you any money, and you, you're, you're an orphan, or you're, uh, your brother-in-law jilted you. Because we've heard of people where, I've heard this now f- twice, three times, where where they get to the the end of an estate and daddy goes to glory and they find out that one brother or one sister spent the whole inheritance, the whole estate, without the other three or four knowing. You go, that's crazy. God's going to judge that. Now we should have judged it. We should have stayed. so everyone lives or dies within the boundaries of their own words. So take it, for example, if you had a gun. Now, a gun is an amoral and, a, and a, uh, a nonpartisan, even though they're trying to paint it different than that. But guns can defend you. Guns can feed you. If you know how to use them, you can have a lot of good out of a gun. Or you can take a gun and you can murder innocent people. But we sure couldn't blame the gun. We have to blame the people because it's based on how it's used. Now, I'm not making a gun case tonight at all. And so don't get wrangled up in the example, because we could say money. Money could fund an orphanage and do all kinds of good, or it can fund a terrorist who takes out innocent lives all over the world. But it's not the money. It's the person. It's the, it's the person of how it's used. So let's go that, take those two and go to words. Words can set increase and life into a man or woman's life and absolutely promote them beyond their biological uh, uh, limitations or expertise. Take someone that's far limited and put them on top. Have you all read stories? They're called biographies where people just change the world because of things they said. So words can set increase into a man's future or will settle and affirm the curse that's already in the world. Well, nothing good ever happens to me. Daddy died at 60, I probably will too. Affirm the words with your mouth, the very mouth that could set you up to be the president, could set you up to fund orphanages or whatever. So um, there's no such thing as luck. Say "No no luck. There's no luck. You have to live within the boundaries of your words and people that have bad luck also have bad confession. (laughs) yeah so there's no there's no chance or uh what's another word for that there's anyway no chance there's no happenstance that's the word why is because whatsoever a man soweth say with me that shall he also reap well i think it's just chance it just is it's just not my time yet but it will be my time and i'm going to God's going to make it up to me. The average is going to come out, and I've been so wrong so long, it's bound to work out for me later. And that's just not it. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he reap. Death and the life are in the power of the tongue. So what's exciting is this puts me in charge. I'm not behind some some wife or husband or in-law. I'm not behind some government official that doesn't like my politics and is just putting the whammy on i'm not it's not up to anybody it may be today that they that they form a weapon against me but it shall not prosper the word says because they're going to form a, wep- a weapon against you but it won't prosper matthew twelve thirty five says this now just listen a good man out of the good treasure of his heart what happens Bringeth forth good things. Now, a good man would just be a good man, but a good man has a good treasure. That defines a good man. People are all the time telling me, wow, well, they're, they're a good man. You know, they beat their kids and get drunk on the weekends, but I, I really like to go fishing and hunting with them. And it's just wrong. It's just so wrong where we, we assign a small part to the whole thing. So who brought forth? A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things. Who brought the treasure forth? The man. So God's not in control. God's not sovereign. Because if a man wants to, the, the same verse says, and an evil man out of the evil treasure or the unbelieving man, out of the unbelieving treasure of his heart brings forth evil things, bad things, negative things, things that we shouldn't have to endure Yet that's his whole lot in life. So God's system, he's got this system, and I know y'all know this, but let's just say it anyway. God's got a system. On on the cars in America, there's a system. It's called P-R-D-L. And when you want to go forward, you put it in D. If you want to back up, you put it in R. Everybody knows that. If you don't want it rolling down the hill, you put it in park. That's the system. But it doesn't care, and we also have the pedal on the right. Well, what about all those left footed people? <laughs> you're gonna have to drive with your right foot. Because that's the system, that is the mode of operation. So, if that's the system, it depends on who is in charge of the administration, who's running the car. So, you put a six year old in there, you, you're liable to go to the body shop next week. You know, it's, it could happen. But if you put a race car driver in there, they can take it around the track at 250 miles an hour and it'll come back just perfect. So it's the same system. So the kingdom is a system. He's not in control. He's not in an arbitrary or a position to decide. God does not decide. He already decided. He already decided. Why is God picking on you? He's not picking on anybody. We choose. We administrate that. So we know, and this is powerful, we cannot just pray for God to do it. We can't even ask him to bless our food. Lord, we're just asking you to bless this food. That's, That's an unblessed meal. I bless the food. I take authority over trouble. And those people that always pray a nourishment to their bodies, I, I'm, I'm always <laughs> taking that out. I'm plenty nourished. <laughs> we don't need any help from heaven to nourish my body. Hallelujah. Amen. So God's, in, God's not in control. God's not doing our praying for us. He's not doing our doing for us. We know that in Second Corinthians 12 where Paul said, I seek the Lord three times to take this this thorn in the flesh away from me. And the Lord came back and said, my grace is sufficient for you. I've already empowered you. I've already given you authority. Speak it. Deal with it. So Paul said, well, of course. If you read the book there, the chapter, it's very honest. It's very forthcoming. Paul looks a little foolish, actually, like all of us have, because he's actually the one that brought this gospel To the body of Christ the authority of the believer so if words are seeds what determines what the harvest will be on those seeds is it the ground or is it the seed what determines if we're going to have cantaloupes or not is this cantaloupe ground or is this watermelon ground is this green bean ground or is this squash ground? There's no such thing, is there? It all depends upon the seed. And the kingdom of God is, is, in a sense, I don't want to appear like I'm denigrating it, but it's neutral. The ground is there, and we determine the harvest because then we determine the seed. So if you want briars and thorns and thistles... Then you just plant them, and that ground that'll grow corn and cantaloupes will also grow you a crop of thistles and thorns. So it's up to the seed. Well, this is the seed of my life, your life. This is our seed, and it's full of stuff, good stuff, amazing stuff. There is promotion and increase. There is good, there is life to the full in this, but there's a world out here that's fallen. And they have lots of words. I said they have lots of words of shame, of condemnation, of failure, of, of all those things, rejection. And you can see that the people that are under rejection and condemnation, if you listen to them any time at all, you can hear them sowing and watering their seed. So there's nothing to be done for them. You can, you can feed the poor and we should. But until the poor get a seed in their mouth that they can plant, they're always going to be poor. Because there's no luck, there's no no intervention from heaven. God's already intervened from heaven. So in other nations, I've counted this several times, they, uh, they tend to not want to believe that you can prosper in these nations because the people are poor. They're poor. And so they don't want to teach the gospel because they don't want to take money out of the hands of the poor. Y'all think that'd be right? That'd be wrong. We got to plant seed no matter how much we start out with. We got to plant seed in the poorest of nations. We, we have to bring our tithe if we just got 10 cents. We got to go find change for a dime. And bring that penny in. It's the only way out. It's the only way out. Nobody is exempt. God sowed, he uh, he sowed the Lord Jesus as a seed to get us. So he said, light be. He ordered his conversation aright. He he established his, uh, uh, he uh, decreed a thing, light be, and it was established unto him. No different. It always works that way. Now I'm going to just read this in Romans chapter 10, verse eight. You know this verse, but we'll let's follow the sequence. This is how you get born again, but it's actually a treatise on faith. It says, "But what saith it? The word of faith, the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth, my mouth, say my mouth, my mouth, and in my heart." What's that? That is the word of faith, which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe that God, has, that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth. So there's believing and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So you could go down to the front of the church and, and say, I, I want to get I want to miss hell. I don't like hell, and you talk about it all the time. I, I want to miss that. And he'll say, well, just, just say three halloos and, and say, Jesus, come into my heart. And so, of course, we do that. Do they get born again? We don't know because it's not overt. It's believe in your heart until it says with your mouth, until it speaks, till it speaks. We cannot contrive it. It has to speak. So, whatever we affirm with our faith, God starts working on a way to bring it to pass. Whatever we affirm with our faith, we put it out there. Lord, I I believe I receive a car. I believe I receive. Lord, I have a car. I have a car, a good car. I need a car. And I set my faith for one. And I've invested in the scriptures. And I have seed. And I'm planting that seed. I have a car. Well, as soon as you affirm that with your confession, decree a thing, it shall be established. The Lord starts putting together, and actually, the truth is, he put it together before we said it because he knew we were going to say it. And so he put it together, and here comes your car. Well, God may not want me to have a good car. He may want me just to be humble and Send me a trash heap. Well, that's why we need a car, is because we already have one of those. <laughs> so here's the end of it I got to get me some believing words. Well, how do I get me some believing words? Well, I got to put a good treasure in my heart. Because words isn't it. I can't, my, my words are what the word calls in Matthew, they're empty or idle or unemployed. I got to get some words that got stuff. Well, how do you get those words? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks those words. So I got to work on my heart, not my mouth. Because my mouth will take care of my faith if I have a good treasure in my heart. Now, I know this seems so simple. It's almost trite to teach this and for you to hear it. But we never get away from this. It is the kingdom. It is all of the kingdom, and there's nothing happening apart from this in the kingdom. It's the whole kingdom. We talk about details and get over here, but I got to get me some mountain-moving faith into my heart. I got to get some water-walking faith in my heart so that if I need to walk on the water, I just say, giddy up. Amen? So you haven't met your test yet, so you should get ready for it. Because it takes time once the thing comes against you to get mountain moving faith, water walking faith inside. You shouldn't wait until the trouble comes to have a defense or an overcoming for the trouble. We ought to act like we're full all the time, so no matter what comes, we're ready. Be ready. Be ready. Be ready. Be ready. Be ready. Jesus said, in the world ye shall have tribulation, pressure. So it's not like, well, maybe I'll miss it. No, you won't miss it. It's in the world. Amen. Amen. So we're going to get us some new words to put in our heart so it can get us some new words to come out of our heart. Amen. Thank you for tuning in this evening. I don't know if you all tune in or not, but thank you for joining us tonight (laughs) in Tuscaloosa. God bless you. We will be here Sunday morning at 10.10 or 10.30 or 10.35. Just keep it on. We'll come eventually. (laughs) Did y'all like that polish? I learned that.